and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Dean Massa. Sax and Jazz Talk coming your way. So, well, a huge welcome to you, lovely listener, and I hope this finds you and yours well. And I'm properly chuffed to be joined by Pride of Wigan and Britain's favourite tenor player, or at least one of them, the great Dean Massa. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, thank you. Are you sure you haven't got your cards mixed up for the intro <laughs> there? Well, I, I don't know. Weren't you uh, voted by the public in 2019 in the British Jazz Awards as one of the faves, if not the fave? I was, yeah. Yeah, I managed to get on the listing, even though I wasn't nominated, which was, which was quite nice. That's the best way. Yeah, so somebody loves me. So the nature of these things, we have a bit of a ramble and a chit-chat, uh, but it normally starts with sort of finding out a bit about you. So how did you get into jazz? When did you pick up a horn, all of this? Well, I was, uh, well, I'd be about 15. Right. So quite, quite a late starter. I'd had a saxophone since I was about eight, because my dad bought me one. My dad played a little bit of saxophone when he was a kid. Right. Uh, and then, and then kind of gave up. Um, and always kind of regretted it, I think. So he bought me this saxophone because I'd, because because I could play Mary had a little lamb on the recorder. So clearly this kid had a future, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, this kind of le- leaky old Bucher alto sat under the bed, gaining dust. Because I I tried to play it and I had no idea. I'd got no teacher. The sax wasn't working and. Mm. So there it sat. Anyway, when I was about 15 and I got into, oh, <laughs> we were going to get a band together that kind of played in a kind of Gary Newman vibe. Nice. This was, this was where it had gone. Despite despite having an upbringing of Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and the Basie band and all of that, yeah. I kind of went down the top of the pop route, you know. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, I wanted a bass guitar. And using that true parent logic, my dad said, well, I'm not buying you a bass guitar. You never played that saxophone I bought you when you were eight. So I said, well, what about if I practice the saxophone every day for three months to show my devotion to, you know. Yeah, all right. And the the three months was wobbling to an end and I wasn't really pulling any trees up, I've got to be honest. Um, And then I, by chance, I heard Dexter Gordon playing A Nightingale Sang in Berkeley Square from the oh, Gotham man. City album. Yeah. And uh, I just heard it and went, ah, oh, that, that, I want to do that. And that was kind of the the pivotal moment, I think. Amazing. Um, yeah. And then I started to take it more seriously. Um, and as luck would have it, I lived in, I lived in Clitheroe at the time, that well-known jazz epicentre. <laughs> but weirdly... Th- Within 150 yards of each other, there was me and a guy called Andy Schofield, who now lives in Prague, wonderful saxophone player and arranger, oh. and uh, another guy called Ian Dixon, who now teaches my daughter at Cheatham's. Wow. Very odd, small world. Um, and they were way advanced of me, you know, and they used to drag me around kicking and screaming to their house and make me do play-alongs and play-alongs to Cannonball Records and things. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of the start of it. So you're sat there in your bedroom, listening away to Dexter or, or whoever, and what, yeah. then just sort of emulating it and doing the best you can? Or you yeah. got a teacher? What was happening? Um, I, had, I had a few lessons that were, that were very short, 
you know, kind of council funded lessons, you know, where they were yeah. like four of you got 20 minutes <laughs> kind of thing with um, a great guy um, called Tommy Cudley. A wonderful name. Isn't it? Oh, you couldn't write it. Tommy Fantastic. Cudley. <laughs> and as I remember, I, Tommy really had the juju, you know. Yeah, he yeah. just knew what to, he turned some great players out and he wasn't exactly a mine of information but he just seemed to know what to say to you to make you want to do it and to kind of believe in yourself really and then what happened so you're now I'm going to take you what you're 16 17 or whatnot yeah. and you then what what you do university or college uh, I, yeah I went to Leeds College of Music when I was 18 right um yeah, and did the, yeah, and did the course there. Unfortunately, the uh, grammar school I went to, you couldn't do you couldn't do music. It was verboten. There was no music department. There was nothing. There wasn't even a piano in the school. You know. God, well, yeah, well, the great British grammar school system, and it it, it didn't have music. Seriously. No. Yeah, seriously. So I did I did grade five theory privately. Yeah. And and then, in the first year of my A levels, we we moved area. And in the last year of my A levels, I kind of crammed in O level music. My God! Um, but but that was it. That was it. You know, but, formal music training had I none, in, including on the saxophone, because because Tommy wasn't really one of those right. Take your grade eight, learn your scales and arpeggios, kind of yeah. guy. You know. So, um, I, te- I mean, what? So you then go to a music college mm. without. An A level in music, only having been playing for what a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> what were, what, I mean, I'm not being, I'm not, I'm not mucking around. But what were they thinking? I mean, how did you, how did that even work? What? How did I get in? Well, A, how did you get in, and then B, how did you cope? I'd have thought it'd be pretty rigorous, wouldn't it? Like technically. Yeah. Well, I got in because, and there's a lesson here. Really. I'm all ears. I had to do. You had to do two transcriptions. Mm-hmm. One of which was Body and Soul, Coleman Hawkins. Lovely. And then one of your own choice. And I chose Cheesecake, Dexter Gordon. Yeah, yeah. So I had the, I had the transcription books. But I couldn't really read. Ah. So all I could do was just put the record on over and over and over again and kind of follow the notes on the page. But do you see what I mean? Rather than learning the transcription from the book... I was yeah. learning the transcription from the record, right? Not by ear because I did, you know, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't that advanced then. But um, so, of course, I went for the audition, and when I played Body and Soul, it really sounded suspiciously like Coleman Hawkins, but that wasn't. Bec- and when I played Cheesecake, it sounded like Dexter, and that wasn't because of any great skill. It was because I had no bloody choice. <laughs> That's so, so interesting. Yeah, so I did the transcriptions because the guy auditioning me was like, "Ooh, wow, this this lad can play." And he said, "Shall we do a play along?" Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and he put it on, and it was it was Doxy. Uh huh. On one of my one of the first things I played along to, I had a I had a live Dexter album with Doxy on it, where yeah, Dexter yeah, yeah. just played like hundreds of choruses, like he does, you know. So. This was something that I'd really tried to mimic. So when Doxy, yeah, I'm all right at this. Absolute shit. I had no idea, but I knew 
kind of some a few kind of almost Dexter licks, I guess. Yeah. So I went, oh, it's great, you're in. And I'm, uh, yeah, but uh, the thing is, um, I'll I'll tell you how, I'll tell you how advanced I was. I remember having a flute lesson in the first week. Hmm. And the the flute guy said, um, oh, he said, Dean, could you just play me a middle C on the piano? And I I said, which one's that? (laughs) Honestly. Well, that's going to give... That's going to give us all hope. You hadn't a clue, right? No, absolutely, absolutely n- nothing. He said, what are you doing at music college? <laughs> I said, well, funny you should ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then this must have been, I mean, intimidating might might be a, an appropriate word. Three years of that, where I'm going to presume all the other students had a pretty solid base or certainly years of playing behind under their belts. Did you feel like on the outside or did you sort of discover it was actually much more inclusive? Or I mean, what was the vibe? Well, the, yeah, the, yeah, the vibe was okay, but it was all just a a bit of a struggle, really. If I'm yeah. honest, you know, just just trying to keep up with everything and uh, and catch up with everything. Uh, yeah, clearly they meant to be, right? I was chatting um, with um, Faye McCalman um, a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about uh, growing up and uh, finding access to an instrument, and she got a clarinet eventually, and and, and taught that, and then she realised that she really wanted to play the sax and other things but the the feeling for her um was always being slightly on the outside and, and having to work your way in and i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but i'm just interested in feeling like if you are on the outside even if that's because of the language that's being spoken and this seemed to be a, a very technical music language that from your perspective clearly someone is hearing something but underneath it is a very fragile or, or unbuilt uh sort of soul so to speak did that then follow you through is that a truth in that or or what yeah yeah i would i would say that's true i've always yeah i always feel like i'm coming from behind even yeah. though even though the evidence would suggest otherwise you know but but i've always got that feeling that oh i shouldn't really be here i shouldn't yeah. really be doing this you know imposter that, syndrome dean imposter yeah, syndrome yeah 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 that does kind of linger i mean i'm you know as I'm getting older, I mean, I'm a, I'm a granddad now, for goodness sake, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting over it, you know. You are? Yeah. Good Twice. God. A granddad Bloody twice hell. over, yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't look it. You wouldn't look it, lad. The, um, <laughs> so you left music college and fully formed article, ready to hit the jazz scene. Then what's what happens? Um, then I moved down... I was good friends with a guy called Paul Stevenson, guitar player. You, you remember? Yeah, no, I remember, remember Paul. You nice can remember his, his scrolled timetables on the. He's <laughs> <laughs> a big motorhead as well, right? I don't know whether he was into the band, but he certainly was into cars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We both were. Um, and a fine guitar player for the for the record for listeners. Anyway. Yeah, and we did a, an awful lot of shedding. You know, like after after Leeds, we built a home studio and did lots of that. Yeah. yeah. Um. And also there was there was quite a scene in Norfolk Norwich Jazz Club, which was at the Red Lion pub in Thorpe St Andrew at the time, and then it later moved to the Green Man, yeah. run by um, Barbara Capucci, right? Who, who was a lovely lady whose husband was a fabulous bebop piano player, Mike yeah. Capucci, who knew every tune in every key, and as far as I could tell, it just didn't. He absolutely played by ear. But it was really, really complex, you know. I mean, he, he could he could take Bill Evans' things down by ear. It was, it was just that. It's just that. It's just that. It's absolutely marvelous player. 
Um, and the the house drummer became uh, Jack Parnell, who I'd met doing um, an Alan Stewart octet gig. Yeah. Um, Alan Stewart was a he, he was quite a character, but he was Tommy Steele's tenor player back in in all those old black and white movies. He's the guy yeah, with the big yeah, quiff yeah. rocking it up. Um, and he was also a stunt man. He was on the James Bond films and stunt coordinator. Anyway. Oh, I love it. I love these sort of polymath people. They're sort of... Well, polymath isn't probably quite the right word, but they've got like lots of talents and they can just throw their hand at anything. Yeah, yeah. So Alan used to run this octet. Um, and sometimes I used to go and do the London version, which was, which was great because it had like Don Weller in it. And, you know, oh, I got to play Mark, with him once. Mark Nightingale. Yeah, yeah, he's... Um, yeah, he's lovely, Don. Sadly departed now. Um, and uh, on one of the Octet gigs I did, Jack Parnell was on drums. Now, Jack right. was a hero of mine and a hero of my dad's because he was just such a big name in the 50s and the 60s, you know. So he's a relation of Val Parnell and Nephew, all of that variety I think. Stuff? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but I mean, he was, I mean, he was Barbara Streisand's MD for a while. Really? He, yeah, he won a Grammy. He had a Grammy on his toilet. <laughs> as, as we all should do, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he was the MD for The Muppet Show, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. And he was the musical director for Anglia TV, um, London Weekend Television, and uh, ran some great bands, you know. Yeah, and then heard anyway, you and went, I know what's going to happen here. Yeah, well, he'd been, he'd been doing a band in his, in his retirement. He'd been doing um, a band called The Best of British. Right. With um, Kenny Baker, and uh, Betty Smith was the saxophone player. Right, I don't and know Betty... much about her, but so she the girl with sax appeal, Betty Smith. Yeah, I know the yeah. tagline. And she, yeah, she had a few minor hits, even in the even in the states, just instrumental things on this saxophone. For See? the uh, record, dear listener, Dean holds up Exhibit A, a beautiful. Tenor sax yeah. has has played so that was well, Betty Smith's horn. Yeah, awesome. Oh, Betty Smith come ten M. By reciprocity, Chris holds up his King Silver Sonic and shows mm. it to Dean and says, "This was once yours, mate." It was. It was. <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah, it's beautiful. Anyway, yeah. we we may uh, have have taken a small diversion. Yes. So possibly. you're in this setup mm. then. Yeah. So yeah. So Betty had retired. Um, yeah. So the best of British decided to just disband for a little bit. Yeah, they were going to just—they were hoping she'd get better, but unfortunately, Kenny Baker caught—he—he—he he, he went to Portugal or something and got yeah. bitten by something. It was something like that, Oy. and they just couldn't get to him fast enough, and he—and he died way before his time. It was so sad. Um, so Jack decided to do a quartet with me, nice. which was which was lovely. And we did all the Pizza Expresses and we did a, a kind of tour of, of the North. And yeah. we did Ronnie's in 92, I think. You did the sort of full week there, did you? Yeah, yeah. We, we were supporting Betty Carter's band, so. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, so did you get the, uh, the, the, the Ronnie Scott phone call by any chance? Or was that yeah. just a thing of myth? No, you did. Yeah. Yeah, which which is lovely because um, I'd met him because we we'd done these concerts to about three gigs I think. Fairfield Halls at Croydon was one of them. Yeah, yeah. 
And the first half, it was Jack's quartet, and then he had a, a quintet. Um, and then Kenny Baker came on and did a guest spot. Yeah. Uh, and then the second half was the Ronnie Scott sextet. And then we all got on and did a big jam at the end. And nice. uh, again, I was, oh, I shouldn't be, uh, I'm not worthy at all this. But Ronnie was really, really encouraging, you know. Oh, yeah, where have yeah, you been yeah. hiding? Oh, you'll have to come and do a week at the club. <laughs> yeah, come and do a week at the Yeah, of course I will. <laughs> and yeah, sure enough, a couple of weeks later, he rang up. Yeah, yeah thanks for doing the, whatever it was, week in November. Oh, I think I might be free. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Oh, man, what a feeling. What a feeling. Yeah, and we did an album. We were recording an album there. We, I think we recorded the Saturday night. And, uh, yeah. Is yeah. that still available? Can people hunt it down? Oh, you'll be lucky now. I think it... It did actually sell out its first run. It was obvious, obviously because I was such a name. <laughs> <laughs> so strictly bootleg at the strictly bootleg. But if you find a copy, uh, yeah, Jack Parnell featuring Dean Massa, I presume. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So. The um, so that, that's your Ronnie Scott experience. So going back to Norfolk, you mm. were sort of based up in Norfolk, going backwards and forwards between there and London. But the scene in Norfolk, I seem to remember from back in the day. Um, was producing some pretty stonky musicians, right? It, it wasn't yeah. backwater by any means. No, no, there were some, there were some, some really good players. I mean, some of the kids that came through. Oh, well, we, um, yeah, right. We got Elliot Mason for his starters. Yeah, and his brother Brad. Of course, in, in the trumpeter, yeah. Yeah, both in New York now. I think, uh, Elliot's doing the Lincoln Centre band. I remember him being in my training band when he was about <laughs> 11. Talk about intimidating. Was he like uh, and I ridiculous, can remember, right? He was a tiny little squirt of a kid. I mean, now he's a he's a really kind of you know he's obviously hit the gym, you know. Yeah, yeah, beefed out. But you know, the trombone was way bigger than he was, and he just he's like what? Incredible, because yeah. his his dad was um, a really good musician, um, uh, Barry Mason. Uh huh. And funnily enough, the. The concerts I was just on about with Ronnie Scott's sextet and blah, blah, blah. The quintet that Jack had, yeah. had Brad and Elliot's mum, Christine Vance, was her, her stage name, and, and she was the singer in that. See? Oh, I love small worlds and I love stage names because you never yeah. know quite what the connection is. So Christine yeah. Vance is their mum. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's another circle squared or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm loving yeah. it. Yeah. So... Okay, here's here's my sort of set question of the day. Dean Massa, what is so special about Dexter Gordon? Discuss. I don't know. I don't know. There's just something about Dexter, isn't there? Oh, yeah, you got me. But what what, what is it? I mean, sound, I think myth, yeah, the myth, sound, the that, that sound, that mm. sound for a start. I mean, of course, historically, he was he was really quite important because he was... He was really the first tenor player to take the bebop thing on. Really. Just about successfully. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, there was certainly a Dexter influence in early Coltrane. Right. And I think early Sonny Rollins too. Yeah. And funnily enough, I remember I was driving back from a gig. Do you remember those days when we used to drive back from gigs? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> and and there was one of those Radio Three jazz programs with I think it was Jason Yardy was talking about um, and it was an hour of Dexter, 
yeah. And I can't remember if it was Jason or the host of the show, the American guy, uh, Canadian guy, I can't think of his name. Anyway, um, who said, uh, and Dexter also had a massive influence on Wayne Shorter, of course. I was like, he did? Okay, wow. And, you know, they played some Wayne Shorter and then played some 70s Dexter. And it's like, wow, <laughs> amazing. And another thing that was great about, about Dexter too was that not only did he influence Coltrane and those guys, but he was also influenced back. Well, so he, he took on their their progressions, he, did he? Yeah. Yeah. He kept going. Which, which is a great thing. But if I had to put it into one word, it's authority with Dexter. And that's you know from you know if you don't if you don't know much about Dexter he's a he's a big guy right for starters yeah six foot seven or something yeah I mean he's just sleeping the greenies and for for him a tenor sax looks more like an alto in the mm. way I look at it I'm like God he yeah so you get that authority figure just by sort of physical presence but his sound to my mind is a sort of really com- it's not compacted it's almost held back there's always something more that he could push down it. Mm. And to that my to, to to my ear, it's always then one of, oh, gosh, he's not even really playing yet. When of course no. you're already completely mesmerised, right? Yeah, he's one of those guys who's got like three sounds going on all at once, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a pretty good thing. But so, where does Sonny and uh, or Sonny Rollins and, and John Coltrane sit for you? Not in a sort of ranking of things, but you're influenced by all of them, I presume. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think you have to be. I mean, you can't. Uh, there are so many great saxophone players. You can't dismiss any of them, you know. Yeah. Um, Rollins is. He's kind of my go-to guy now for for stuff. I I love his playing. There's a certain. There's a certain looseness about it. Yeah, and he's, in the he's the one that makes me smile. Yeah. Every I can't. You cannot help. But you know, you you said something. But to he was me, um... he was deadly serious, you know. Jim Hall really? t- told a story was he said that they'd be playing, and Sonny Rollins would play something, and Jim Hall would laugh out loud, and Sonny Rollins would look at him like really hurt, like what <laughs> are you it, laughing at? That and wasn't like, a funny moment. Because <laughs> it's it's funny, man. He's like, well, I'm not trying to be funny. <laughs> but yeah, he's but he's playing so full of humour. It's beautiful. Yeah. And then of course Coltrane's. The, a whole other thing, you know, sort of deadly earnest and, you know, beautiful, beautiful, you know. Yeah, I think you've got some of the, the real faces of of emotion between those three guys. And, of course, there's dozens more players mm. over the times. Mm. There's something I don't know really quite what my, my question is, but since we just started talking about humour, the you don't think of John Coltrane and think, ha, 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 or, you know, mm. that's a bit of fun. Yeah. Mm. The players that do make me smile seem to me to come from a different space and place. And I've, you know, mm. I've, in my living room, I've got a picture of John Coltrane on the wall, right? Mm. Possibly in a sort of altaresque nature. But I'm not sure John Coltrane would be the person I'd A, want to hang out with, or B, necessarily play for all seasons. There's something aspirational about it. But mm. I like, you know, the sort of the joy of... Mm. Oh, he's oh, heavy. Oh, Coltra- Coltrane's heavy, heavy, isn't he? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good description. Incidentally, Go on. The, the picture on the wall, it's not the Blue Train album cover by any chance, is it? It might be. You know that one? Yeah. He's look, looking he's very pensive. Up. Yeah. Do you know what he's doing? Oh, God, what? Taking he's eating a lollipop. 
<laughs> well, so that's not as loaded as we think. He's just having no, a No, you know that? He, he looks really pensive, doesn't he? Like he's right. really lost in thought. Yeah. But but recently, they, re, they um, released the... Because the, the that's a cropped photograph. And yeah, they yeah. released the uncropped version. And he's eating a lollipop. He's got a chopper chops in, all those. Yeah. <laughs> I'm loving it. Oh, really you see, weird. the pictures tell a thousand stories, but never the one you expect. Yeah, yeah. The... Um, so what what have you got going on right now? What a where, where's life? Obviously you're in lockdown, but you know that aside, you're you're playing a bit, you're, you're teaching, you're you're thinking yeah, about music I'm, in general. Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying the teaching side of things at the moment. It's good. Go it's it, it's good. I'm doing a lot of online teaching, um, mm. especially the I don't know what you'd call it really, but I I seem to have happened upon a way of um, making practicing bebop a bit more comprehensible rather than difficult <laughs> so yeah because that's barrier central isn't it you listen to bebop and then go oh how do i play it and then yeah. you go you look at the chords and then you go or oh, maybe i don't <laughs> yes so to your point of accessibility i know uh sorry rollins was was a young guy right 16 mm. 17 and he could seemingly play it what what how well i think um I think an awful lot of the stuff that's happening in, in, in music colleges and in all the books and stuff is yeah. is almost, it, it, let's put it this way, jazz education seems to have gone down a certain path. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it's the path that the players who actually did it in the first place were following. Sure. Well, they couldn't have done right. So I think a lot of the, the music colleges are a reference point, perhaps, to what has been. Hmm. And they give you a route in, but if you want to play like that, it's not necessarily the only route, right? To to analyse it in the nth degree and and go, oh, you know, that's called that, and that's what he's doing. I mean, I can't believe that you know that's actually happening. Yeah, there's um, there's been an awful lot of analysis done, and a lot of the time the analysis hasn't been correct, but people have kind of picked up on it and then gone, oh, 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 and also. <laughs> And also, of course, not wishing to sound cynical, but if you want to teach something for three years at a music college, it's got to be it's got to be pretty involved and things. And I always had a sneaking suspicion that it was a lot simpler than that. And uh, certainly, I've found a way that makes it simpler for me. So I mean, I'm enjoying teaching that, and the feedback I'm getting off the students seems to be pretty good too. So, the, uh, yeah, what's fun. your website, Dean? Uh, deanmasser.co.uk So go to deanmasser.co.uk and what, someone can just email you and say, tell me more. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm teaching on Skype and Zoom and FaceTime and posting nice. courses by Carrier Pigeon and all sorts. Well, you never know. You might pick up the, uh, the, the, odd, the odd listener. But ostensibly, I mean, I, Dean taught me when I was a, a young'un and um, we went through the, the motions and all the scales and whatnot that you had to do. But recently we're, we're chatting and it's like, you know what, that's not the only perspective. And to actually stand back and look at it from uh, from a different light is a, is a blessing and really quite exciting. So I would definitely, if you are thinking about jazz improvisation and whatnot, get drop, drop Dean a line. Worst things to be done in the world. <laughs> so, right, whenever lockdown ends, we'll, we'll hopefully be able to hear you live and whatnot. Um, yeah, and we'll I want to try and get an album. I want to try and get an album done. I wrote, um, I wrote a a lot of originals, which I was supposed to record in um, 
in April. Yeah. But of course, lockdown put the kibosh on that, really. So um, is that for what? For a, for a septet, sextet? What, what type of group? Either a quartet or a quintet. I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure yet. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just suddenly got a... I'm funny with writing. I either write nothing for 10 years or write three tunes in an afternoon. And right. I just hit... I just hit this scene where I went, oh yeah, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one, and they're all pretty strong compositions. I'm quite, I'm quite pleased with them. Yeah, I can yeah. still, I can still whistle them a year later, you know. Yeah. Um, also, I wrote some duets. Um, I thought, I thought it'd be nice to have some interactive duets for lockdown, so I recorded both parts and, and wrote these duets, and I'm currently halfway through the second book of those, and uh, yeah, that's. As Phil Woods once memorably said, it's selling like a hot cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love these purple patches of creativity. You can't yeah. explain what what comes, but you can pretty much know that uh, once it's passed, that that it was something special and different. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, nice one. But I enjoy um, the duet writing. It's, it's so. It's, what's it's the good. duet for? Two saxes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and um, it's all kind of. Um, each one kind of focuses on a different aspect of, of phrasing. Really, really straight ahead, swingy bebop things, you know. Yeah. So, uh, the the question that our listeners want want to know is, what are your three top albums? What what should what would they listen to if they want to get into D Mass's head? Yeah, you know, it, it can be the best three you've ever listened to in your life, or it could be what's on the on the record player right now. But give us three three albums that you recommend. Okay, oh, three out of three million then. Um, <laughs> one of my favourite albums when I was growing up was uh, the Cannonball Adderley Quintet live in San Francisco. Whoop, whoop, tick. Yeah, yeah, love it. Just just what a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> just that. I love that. Um, oh, so many albums don't do this to me, Chris. Um <laughs> If I had to, what would my Desert Island Dexter be? I think it would probably be Go. Right. I'd, Why? Well, I think because it was the it was the first Dexter album I ever bought. Oh. I think it's I, I think it's just that. Something I will say about listening to albums, old school, right? When I got my copy of Go, I got on the bus from Clitheroe to Blackburn, Yeah. went to the record shop, asked for the catalogue, ordered it out of the catalogue, got back on the bus, and then two weeks later the record arrived, got back on the bus, went all the way to Blackburn again, came home and listened to it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And I think that's a really good thing. And now, because there's such a, because you can whiz through YouTube and Spotify and whatever else, I kind of wonder whether people listen in that much detail anymore, because I still know every single note and every single space on that record. I think that's a big thing. I was, <coughs> I I think that's a big thing. I was chatting to my brother, in one of these podcasts, um, a, a couple ago. And we were talking about listening and where you listen, but but he was also saying how important it is to him to listen to a whole album, and to go back to that album and listen again and again, and that sense of you know when you're driving in your car, you're not really listening, hmm. 
when you are uncompromised, I guess, in attention and you can put it on and listen to it. But I think what you're describing as well is the process of getting that that media, of getting that thing. It, it, it's not an easy transaction to get a record, you know, when you're allowed. No. And of course, yeah. nowadays, you just fr- press flick and it's there on your phone. And then it becomes much more, I don't think it's transactional, it's throwaway. Um, and it belies yeah. the effort. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, um, you know, people say, listen listen to as much music as you can, which, which is great, you know, because you get a nice broad church and everything. But also, at some point, there's got to be some intensive listening to really learn your stuff, you know. Yeah. So you've got one space left, space number three. What are we going to put in there? Oh, no. Well, there's got to be some... I would pick a Charlie Parker album, but... Right. I, but we'll, because Charlie Parker's just there anyway, I'm not going to. So it's going to have to be a Rollins album. I go, oh, and now what? Nukes time, maybe? Nukes time. We'll take sa- it. I'm going to lock you down, Dean, because otherwise you'll go through the entire Sonny Rollins. Or uh, the sound of Sonny or Sonny side up with Dizzy or maybe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, if you haven't got any Sonny in your collection, it doesn't matter. Get something. But yeah, yeah Nukes Time is, is, a, is a beautiful album. Yeah. Everything about that makes sense as well. So I'm going to yeah. stop you there. So I've got one final thing for you to do, Dean. It's administrative. Mm. So I'm going to introduce you to... Uh, our house band here on the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. Right. So up front, we've got Vi Red on alto, Mark Ooh. Nightingale on trombone, and Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet. And our back line, we have Duke Ellington on piano, uh, Nick Beggs on bass at the minute, and Jeff Hamilton on drums. Mm-hmm. And we've got Leanne Carroll on vocals and backup keys as a secret seventh member. Now, those who are listening closely in our last podcast, Eddie Parker freestyled with the band and only added an eighth member refusing to be drawn to swap so he has also added in george formby on ukulele so we are now an octet but dean my gift my thank you to you is to allow you to review the band and you can change up to one musician in our current octet and because it should be a septet you can also remove someone entirely but, um, <laughs> can I just take George Formby out again? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can do that. <laughs> George, has, George has gone. Um, Even though he was a Wiganer. Was he? He's one of one of the one of the Wiganites. Yeah, there's a there's a statue of him in the uh, in the shopping arcade here. But you know, once lockdown opens, you're gonna have to go back outside the front door. And when they find out you've removed George Formby from the house band, whew, good luck. So I think I'll be fated for it. <laughs> <laughs> so assuming that George is, George is uh, back on the subs bench, shall we say, mm. would you, who would you change in our band? As I say, Vi Red, Mark Nightingale, Dizzy Gillespie, Duke Ellington, Nick Beggs, Jeff Hamilton and Leanne Carroll. Or do you think we've nailed it? Well, it's an interesting lineup. Where did, it, where did all this start? <laughs> we blame Miles Ashton from Ronnie Scott's who gave us our original lineup, but several members have changed since then. Um, so, yeah, we've got a bit of prog rock bass now. We've got swing drums, bop trumpet. Uh, yeah, Vi Red is fantastic. I didn't know her at all. And I went and checked her out after a recommendation. Yeah, she's great, yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, so that, that's the band. I mean, are you happy? or Because this is, your, this is your one and only chance, lest we interview again at some point in the future. Otherwise, you have to live with it. I'm thinking Ray Brown on bass with the other two guys. Ray Brown. Oh, I see. I knew Nick Beggs wasn't going to hang out long. 
Mm. Right, so we've had Jacko Pistorius, we've had Nick Beggs, and now we've got the great Ray Brown yeah. installed as the house bass player. And I've yeah. got a feeling he might hang around for a while, Dean. Ray Brown with you, that'd be great. So, listen, Dean, thank you ever so much uh, for joining us. Oh, it's been and great, I've enjoyed it. We'll, we'll welcome you to Watford at the point when we're allowed to. Um, yeah. Until such point, we'll keep you out with pitchforks. Um, don't forget, if you've liked what you've listened to today, make sure you subscribe uh, so you don't miss any valuable episodes of the podcast. Um, if you want to know more about Watford Jazz Junction, just check out our website, watfordjazzjunction.com. Or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere else I've managed to set up some sort of social media profile. Remember, there ain't no better, there ain't no worse, it's just music. And just finally to say one more time, thanks to Dean Massa for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, it's been great. Thank you. Bye. Bye.